0: Well, good morning again. Continue to walk through the last couple of weeks here of our study, a model church walking through 1 Thessalonians. And so this morning we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You can have that ready as we get into it a little bit here later. You know, as I prepared for this sermon, had some time to think about it. And, uh, you know, I always kind of struggle to put things together. I'm a procrastinator by nature. But this one was... Uh, unusually difficult for me. And and I just struggle to get my thoughts down. I I read a whole lot. Uh, I listened to sermons. I read sermons. I read commentaries. I did word studies. And and I had all this information. And and man, it was just overwhelming. But I think what added to my struggle this week for this particular message is that I, I was repeatedly reminded of my own inadequacies. I was repeatedly faced with my own shortcomings and with my faults. And, and I tell that to you because I absolutely believe what I have to say this morning is true. And it's important. But it comes from a place of humility. And it, and it comes from a, a place of I have been preaching this to myself over the past couple of weeks. And I'm just here to share that with you this morning. And as I kind of thought through that concept, I wonder if if you've ever felt that way about anything, where you've kind of had a sense of inadequacy, you've realized that, you know, maybe you're not all that you thought you were, you had some things in your life that were revealed that, yeah, you weren't really good at that, or no, that didn't really work out the way that you thought. Uh, Maybe that you've faced some of your weaknesses or your failures or your shortcomings, And maybe it's left you feeling a little lost, like I felt for a while this past week. And then I wonder if you've ever felt that way about God. I wonder if you've ever felt that way about what it means to be a Christian, where you have that feeling of just not measuring up. You've got that feeling that, Man, when you walk in here, like, that person over there seems like they've got it figured out, and you know you're struggling, and you don't have whatever that person has. Right? You show up to church, and you're like, man, I don't have everything put together. And honestly, I've got more questions than I've got answers. Right? Have have you ever felt that way? I don't know where you're at. But I'm pretty sure I can say with confidence that I guarantee you we have all struggled with this concept of who we are, who we ought to be, who God says we ought to be, and what God says we ought to do. And so if if any of those things describe you this morning, I'm glad you're here. Because we just have three verses here to look at this morning, and honestly, they're pretty short. But they also contain an answer to maybe life's most important question. So you ready for it? What is God's will for your life? I've got the answer for you. I'm going to tell you this morning what God's will is for your life. Guaranteed. Because I don't have to tell you, Paul does. Okay, you're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to read verse 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There it is, God's will for you. I don't have to do anything else. Just follow those commands and you will fulfill God's will for your life. So now that I've helped you with that this morning, we can close our Bibles, pack things up, go to lunch early, because that's all you got to do, and you're golden. No one's moving. No one's moving, because I think you read that, and you're like, yeah, but I don't know, it's not that simple. And it's not that simple as in just those three things, and it's not that simple because what do you mean by that, Paul? Not me, Paul. What do you mean by that, Paul? And and I was confronted with some of that this week. And just in case some of you are wondering, like I went and checked, maybe there's a mistake here. I went into the Greek, and it does actually say always. Not like sometimes. And And it does say pray without ceasing. Not like when you remember. And it does say give thanks in all circumstances, not just the ones that you enjoy. Like, it says it. And if you're not convinced by the Greek, because I really don't know Greek, just read people who do, um, Paul says this thing in other places as well, so it can't be a mistake. Romans 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And then he says it again to another church in Philippians. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Like, well, he didn't make a mistake. And God didn't make a mistake. Here it is. I read that. And maybe you're like me. And you're still like, yeah, but what does that mean? Rejoice? Always. Like, is that even possible? How am I supposed to rejoice when this world is such a... A hurtful place. I'm thinking through my week this week, and this week I sat in a little dark room with someone in our church who is in constant pain who doesn't have a solution in front of them. This week I sat with my high school guys in our small group, and two of them have lost their father this year. Two high school boys. I'm supposed to rejoice always, Paul? How am I supposed to rejoice always when I work with teenagers most of the time? (laughs) But beyond that, honestly, we work with teenagers and they've got problems too. And they're dealing with anxiety and depression. And we've got teenagers dealing with self-harm. We've got teenagers dealing with stuff where they're trying to figure out God's will for their life. And they're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian at school and in their house. And, they're like, and I'm just supposed to tell them to rejoice always? How do we rejoice always when we look through our prayer chain over the past few months and, and we're seeing things like brain tumors? And we're seeing things like cancer. And we're seeing things like job loss. And we're seeing things like sickness. And we're seeing things like marital stuff and parenting stuff and conflict and divorce. And we haven't even gone outside of our church yet. We're not going to talk about politics and everything else that comes with that. We're supposed to rejoice always. And amen. man, so i not only supposed to rejoice always, I'm supposed to pray without ceasing? Is that even possible? Forget all the circumstantial stuff that we just talked about. It's just hard enough to find 15 minutes of quiet time in my life. And I'm supposed to pray without ceasing? What about all the times that I'm not even feeling that spiritual or godly or Christian? Like, am I supposed to pray during those times? And that's not even talking about, what about the times like, I don't even want to pray? Like I don't want to pray because I don't like what's going on, and I don't want to talk to God about it because it kind of feels good being mad at God right now. Or right other times, you know what? I don't really want to pray. I just want to watch some football. Do I really have to go pray right now? Can I watch the game yesterday? This afternoon? Or am I just supposed to be praying all the time? Does God even want to hear from me? He was piling on. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, we could just rewind all those things that I just said, and now you're telling me I'm not only supposed to rejoice about it, I'm not supposed to always be praying about it, I'm supposed to be thankful for all this stuff? Uh, These are real questions. And these are real issues that we have to deal with. But the text is plain and Paul is clear. These are commands of Scripture, and it is God's will for our lives. That we would be a people that rejoices always. That we would be a people that would pray without ceasing. And that we would be a people that would give thanks in every circumstance. How are we supposed to do all that? Because that kind of feels like a burden to me right now. Here's the good news as I see it. The most important part of these three verses are not the three commands. It's three words. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Notice that this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. And here's the heart of the message. You will not be able to reconcile yourself with all the circumstances of the world. And you will not be able to pray without ceasing. And you certainly will not be able to give thanks in all circumstances if you do not understand the glorious truths that come with the knowledge of being in Christ Jesus. It won't happen. So what's the big deal then? What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? And we can spend the rest of the time looking at Scripture because it tells us so many different things about what it means. But at its foundation, to be in Christ Jesus means this, that we are united with Him through His Spirit by faith. Let's show you a couple of different ways that Paul treats this. This is actually Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so what happens when we place our faith in Christ? What does it mean to be an heir according to the promise? Well, put it simply, a little more simply, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So before we go any farther, as a Pause right here and say, if you're not a Christian, if you're not in Christ Jesus, the rest of this message really isn't going to do you much good. Because everything that the believer gains confidence from this message, hopefully, it's only because we are in Christ Jesus. So I don't want you to get up and leave right now, if that describes you, but I want you to listen and hear what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And then by the end of this morning, I want you to run to the cross. And know today, place your faith in Christ and have all of these truths apply to you as well. So what difference do these three words in Christ Jesus make as we look at these three verses? That's what we're going to unpack in the next few minutes. I'm going to just warn you, kind of unusual for me, but I'm just going to fly through a whole bunch of scriptures. I, I don't... I have them on the screen because they wouldn't be up there long enough for you to really look at them. Okay, but here we go. Being in Christ, Jesus cultivates a joyful heart. Being in Christ, Jesus cultivates a joyful heart. Well, what does it mean to rejoice always as verse 16 says? Well, good news for starters is it doesn't mean that we always have to be happy. Because if that was the case, Jesus would have been outside of God's will when he wept. Paul would have been wrong when he wrote, Weep with those who weep. So it can't be that we're always happy. You see, rejoicing is less about our actions and more about our attitude. We should remember that Paul is addressing and writing to a persecuted and suffering church. So I don't think he's taking these words lightly. He's telling them, he's commanding them, this is God's will for you to rejoice always. And he knows that is sometimes, and especially true of this church, a hard thing to do. Yet he was calling them to rejoice despite their circumstances. Well, how could Paul expect them to rejoice in the midst of suffering? Because he knew this church was in Christ Jesus. And so the call was not just to fake a smile. It wasn't just to grin and bear it and to walk into church and pretend that everything is okay. The call in rejoicing always is to trust. It's to trust in Christ. To trust God, knowing that He is working in every situation and circumstance. Paul would later write to the church in Romans chapter 5. He would say, Now back up to verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now here's where it picks up. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, so to rejoice always is to focus less on our circumstances and more on Christ and what He has done for us. Can you see what it means to be in Christ Jesus there, that we are united with Him through His Spirit by faith? It's not about a set of forced actions. But it is about living out who God has called us to be. Well, so then what's the advice for those in the midst of suffering and pain? Well, we just said to trust. To trust that your suffering is not in vain. 1 Peter 4 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. What do we do when we're facing suffering? We strive to say with Paul as he did in Philippians 3 that I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul saying your sufferings matter and they count and God can and will use your sufferings to draw you closer to Him. And Paul says it's worth it. The suffering, the trials, it's worth it. I'll give up everything and I'll suffer anything if I can just know Christ. Well, what about those facing death? We take comfort in verses like 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-one: For as by a man came death, by a man, Christ Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We take comfort in knowing that death in this world is not the end. That in Christ all will be made alive and new. Well, how do I find joy in the midst of these trials and pains and sufferings and all of these other things? We trust and we know that God is working in all of it. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he goes on to say that we have that ministry of reconciliation and we are ambassadors as well. Well, what does that mean about anything? Well, what it means is that we can take our sufferings and we understand that through suffering we are reconciled through to God through Christ's sufferings, but we now can take that message of hope to others who are suffering. That as we understand our suffering, as we understand the suffering of Christ, we can bring others into that knowledge. Being a Christian is not just for you. And then when we don't know what else to do or where to turn or what we're supposed to do, we rely on Philippians 4:19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, this is who we have been called to be. Joyful people. And joyful people are joyful not because of their circumstances or their feelings or the emotions. But they're joyful people because of who God is and what He is doing in us and through us in His church. But what that also means is that if you are lacking joy here this morning, you are lacking a proper view of God. If you are lacking joy this morning, you're lacking a proper view of God. So run to Him. Run to His goodness and grace run to His mercy, run to His loving kindness. When we run to God and we understand His supreme love and the fact that nothing can separate us from that and we understand our salvation, we understand His sovereignty, we understand how He is working all things for our good and His glory, we can't help but become joyful people run to Him. Before we move to the next thing, I'd also like to give you just a bonus side effect. If we're rejoicing, we're not complaining. i got to be careful here. I'm a critical person. I tend to complain a lot. Uh, Christians are not supposed to be complainers. They're not supposed to be grumblers or grumpy. No one wants that. No one wants to sit next to the grumpy person at youth group. No one wants to sit next to the grumpy person at church. Don't be the grumpy Christian. That's all you're going to remember. Don't be the grumpy Christian. That's good. The world doesn't need to see grumpy people. The world needs to see joyful people, not based on what's going on or good in our life, but what Christ has done for us. What God has declared in His Word to be. Man, we need some more joyful people. Like I said, I'm preaching myself. Being in Christ Jesus cultivates a prayerful heart. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Well, what does it mean to be pray without ceasing? Well, good news. It doesn't mean that you have to have this constant stream of talking to God at all times. This word is really just used of a persistent cough. It doesn't go away. It's recurring, it's frequent. So that's the idea of how our prayer should be. Recurring and often is to be our way of life. Here it is to be our attitude. One of prayer. One of bent towards God. MacArthur describes it like this. He says, Thus life becomes a continually ascending prayer. All life's thoughts, deeds, and circumstances become an opportunity to commune with your Heavenly Father. In that way, you constantly set your mind on things above, not on things of earth, Colossians 3. Well, so what about those days when you're struggling to find 15 minutes of quiet time? How am I supposed to be constantly in prayer? Well, I would encourage you to remember that, well, being constant in prayer isn't just about having, having a schedule or a structured time. It's more about this attitude, this idea of communion with God. So I say, well, why don't you look for times in your normal daily routine or, or flow to to meet and commune and and talk with God. And and so maybe what that looks like is on your morning walk or maybe it's on your drive to work or as you fold the laundry or as you do the dishes. And I realized as I was saying those things, I don't do any of those things. And you know what I need to do to be constant in prayer? I need to structure 15 minutes. It's not that I don't have 15 minutes. It's that I'm lazy and I'm undisciplined. And so I can make all the excuses in the world, but some of you, I know you're out there because I'm one of them. It's just, you need some discipline and you just ought to do it. But I think of people like my wife trying to take care of three kids under three. I believe she doesn't have 15 minutes and she does a lot of laundry and a lot of dishes. Praise the Lord. You know, for her, I think it is this idea of, of constant communication and talk with God. God, help me today. Where is my husband? I'm dealing with these kids. And, and, and it's this attitude of prayer with your heavenly Father. Well, what about the times that we're not feeling spiritual or we don't want to pray? Or I'm upset because of how things are going or I'd just really rather watch some TV right now? Well, I'd say those things are maybe helpful sometimes and we need it. But the solution to prayerlessness is to run to God. Just to get back to God. We remember things like Second Timothy one nine, who has Christ has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We remember that if we're talking about being constant in prayer, it's not some checklist thing that we have to earn or work towards. It's a gift of grace by the Father. That we have been called before the ages began in Christ Jesus. And so we run to Him and know His grace. We think of verses like 1 Corinthians 1.30, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I take from this verse that thankfully my sanctification is not dependent on how often I pray. It's being in communion with God and letting God work in me. It's God's work in me. It's not something that I'm going to try to go do and earn. Also say if we are lacking in prayer, it's because we have put the focus in the wrong place and we have lost focus of God. Side benefit if you are one who is constant in prayer, it's hard to be bitter, it's hard to hold a grudge, it's hard to complain or be grumpy. Just a side benefit of being constant in prayer. Last one here. Being in Christ Jesus cultivates a thankful heart. It's there, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. We don't have to say much here. Because we're talking about the same thing in each one of these truths. If we're letting Christ develop a joyful heart, and we're letting Christ develop a prayerful heart, we're also going to have a thankful heart. We shouldn't try too hard to separate these concepts. They all overlap and and go together. A thankful heart is again one that is focused on Jesus. And so we begin to be thankful for even the difficult circumstances of our life. Knowing that Jesus is working it all together for our good and His glory. We are thankful that we serve a God who keeps His promises. As 2 Corinthians 1 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it's through Him that we utter our amen to God for our glory. What that's saying is that every promise of God is for us is found in Christ. And so we cling to that and hold to that. That as we are in Christ Jesus, we can hold on and trust the promises of God. We are thankful that we are being sanctified, that we are being made holy day by day. As Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And we are thankful that in Christ we are assured of future resurrection and an eternal hope. As First Peter puts it, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Bonus side effect. If you're thankful, you're not complaining. You're not grumbling. You're not grumpy. Don't be that. Being in Christ Jesus cultivates a thankful heart. And again, if you're not thankful, my guess is you're lacking in a proper view and understanding of who God is and what He has done for you. The key to following God's will for your life, the key to being in Christ, is not about what you can do but about understanding who we are in light of who God is. What I do not want you to do is to take from this message, I need to go home and be more joyful. I need to go home and pray more. And I need to go home and say thank you more often. That's not it. It's not about going and doing more or better. That's not the Gospel. It's about going to the source. It's about understanding that being in Christ is not a once in a while thing, but it's a continual relationship. And as a Christian, we have confidence because you we are always in Christ. And Christ is always in you. You want to be more thankful, be more prayerful, and, and be more joyful? Awesome. Great. Don't try harder. Run to Jesus. And that will naturally happen. We live life out of our relationship with Christ. So real quick, how do we do it? I don't have any insightful things other than Sunday school answers. You know why they're Sunday school answers? Because they're right. Because we should teach our kids this. And if we should teach our kids this, we should do it and practice it as well. Number one, dwell in His Word. Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Man, that sounds a lot like what we've been talking about. Where do we get wisdom? Where do we sing with joy? Where do we get thankfulness? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Have you noticed the abundance of Bible references we walk through? It wasn't because I was short on material. It's because it has nothing to do with what I have to say, and it has everything to do with what the Word of God reveals in itself. This is God's will for your life. Dwell in His Word. A deeper understanding of who God is and who He calls you to be can only be found in this book. I'll save the soapboxes for another day. Number two, walk in the Spirit. I know this could be a sermon, this could be a sermon series, Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So simply, how can I put it? Give up control. Stop living your life the way that you think it ought to be lived and submit to what God says. Hint, it's in His Word. Don't live by your own power, but let the power of the Holy Spirit that is abiding in you change you from the inside out. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Well, how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit or not? I don't have a Spirit detector, except I do. It's Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I can tell you if you're walking by the Spirit. Are you loving? Can you point to your life where you have some joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Are you letting the Holy Spirit work on you in those areas? That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Number three. Live in community. You usually hear this. Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting To meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Remember, Paul is writing to the church. Yes, individuals in the church, but also the church as a whole. The series has been a model church where we ought to be. What can we learn at Chapel of Lake? Here it is live in community. These commands rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. They don't come naturally. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. But you know what else God has gifted us with? The church. The body of believers around us. And so we ought to come together. We need to be each other's encouragement, each other's help and accountability. But hear this. We have to be in community. Notice I didn't say... Show up to church. Go to church on Sunday morning. That, no, live in community. Guess what I've been hearing lately about myself? I'm not very personable. I don't have a good first impression. I can be critical and I uh, complain too much. Real talk. That's it. Is true. It's true. You know what? I usually don't think about those things. You know why? Because I know their weaknesses. But do you know what I need? I need some people telling me, "Hey, man, you're a little harsh. Hey, that was a little critical." Hey, why don't you smile a little more? I'm trying. I'm trying so hard. I need people to tell me that. And and where else am I going to get that if I'm not living in community with people who are also walking in Christ Jesus? So they're not picking me apart because they don't like me. They're saying, you're a brother in Christ and here's what Jesus says and here's how the Word speaks to you. But you will never get there by yourself. That's why God has given you a church. Whether it be this church or some other church, find some people that love Jesus and let them speak truth into your life. We have home groups for this purpose. There's other ways. That's just one. All right, last one. We'll be done. Rest in Christ Jesus. Matthew 11, Jesus' words himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's rest in Christ. Not your works. Rest in Christ. Simply put, trust Him. Trust His Word. Trust Jesus. Trust His promises Cling. To Him. I guarantee you, if you are lacking in any of these areas, being joyful, prayer, your prayer life, being thankful, or maybe like me, all three, the solution is to dive deeper into who God is. Understand what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank You. Help us understand this truth that we stand before You through Jesus as justified, as righteous through the blood of Christ. Help us rest in that, but also stir us up and help us stir each other up to good works, to become the person, the people that You have called us to be, not for our own sake, but for Your glory, Your will, and Your purposes. Lord, help us love You more and help it be evident to all those around us. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.